humble our hearts in a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to gather around your word. We thank you that we can do this in freedom and in openness. We ask that you would give us leaders that would look to you, that we could continue to have this privilege. We ask that you would give us the wisdom to use these privileges and blessings that you have given us, that we could use them wisely, and that we could do things that would bring honor and glory to you. We ask this morning that your Spirit would open this word to us, that it would open it to the speaker, and that as listeners, our ears and hearts could be opened, that we could be refreshed, that that undying portion, we could take this time to set aside those things of cares of this world and look unto those matters of eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Some have a song we can continue with.
Nice to see everybody out on such a beautiful day. I was just thinking when I was sitting there that I think one year I was feeding cows already this time of year, which is quite unusual, but that's the kind of weather we can have in Alberta. And of course we wouldn't trade it for anything, would we? For a text this morning, I'll read the seventh chapter of Romans. I know we, we touch on, on these things lots of times. And, and like we do, those of us that take this place, we ask for, for your prayers that this word could be opened up and it wouldn't be my own understanding here, but rather that we could, we could all Receive strength and understanding from this word. And I guess one of the mysteries of, of faith and the way things are is that he uses the likes of you and I to read this word and look into it and, and try and explain it as best we can and, and find food for for our, our eternal portion, sinful men up here trying to decipher the word. We need we need your prayers and we need help from from above. I will say that this this text is probably me biting off more than I can chew, but God willing, we'll we'll go through it and and if there's any of us have a need, including myself, that we could be fed from this word. So reading reading the the, the full full chapter, twenty five verses of, of Romans seven. Know ye not, brethren <coughs> excuse me, know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she marrieth another, she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being, de- that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. 
but sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, for that which for for what I would that I do not, but what I hate that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. That when, when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this, of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Amen. Greetings of great grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be multiplied unto each one gathered here this morning, now and forever. Amen. I guess we could summarize this whole chapter by saying that well, well, I'll just read here in, the, in a, a few verses before the seventh chapter starts, the sixth chapter. Sixth chapter, fifteenth verse, and I'll read a few verses. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are ye to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. It says that that which we put our time and energy into, then we'll be, we'll be servants of that. So if we... I was up here a couple of weeks ago reading from uh, the Psalms there, I think it was, Proverbs or Psalms, where it says that the man of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So if his delight is in the law of the Lord, we're, that's, that's where we put our time and energy. Not in the things of this world and of this life. So Jesus starts off his parables in, in many cases by giving an example of, of something that we are into in our natural life. And Paul does the same thing here. He talks about marriage and how it says, For I speak unto them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. I think it could be said that in any society, whether they be uh, 
based on the word of God or Christianity or, or even heathen societies and, and unbelieving people, they have their laws. And of course, the law, the law of the Lord and the law that comes out of this word is, is the best. But even, even people in different societies where they, they have had no access to the law or, or to this, to this word as we, we have, they have laws and they have rules in their, in their societies. And it, uh, it keeps law and order, you might say, in people's lives. And, and even, even these, even, we might say, heathen societies that, that some of these laws are not Christian laws whatsoever, it still keeps some, some form of, some semblance of, of order in, in that society. This is speaking of, of those that know the law, this, this Old Testament law, I believe it's talking about. The law hath, know, know ye not, brethren, for I speak unto them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Well, these are all natural things that we see and take part in and understand. It says, so, so then if while her husband liveth, she, she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress. She's, she's uh, done away with those marriage vows and, and she wants to go her own way. She claims to be a liberated woman. My, my mother-in-law said something that would shock a lot of people, but it's true. She said that Jesus came along and he became the greatest liberator of women the world has ever known. Because we see in these godless societies, heathen societies, that, well, I've read the geographic. My folks got it, I think, so us kids could have some kind of a uh, door to what's happening around the world. And you see that in all these societies, women are put down. And, and to be a free woman doesn't mean that, that they can go along with abortion and, and uh, do away with, with, the, with these laws the scripture puts in place. That, that's what some people are led to believe to be a, to be a free woman. But in these, in these, in these societies... The men always lord it over the women. And they have the women, well, well, not so much many more these days, but in the old days, tanning hides and moving camp. And, and of course, they do the cooking and the butchering and all that took, took to, to keep, keep the system moving. But it was always done with, with a lash. I'm sure that Given a choice, they wouldn't have lived the hard lives that most women have lived in, in the centuries past in these godless societies. But Jesus came along and he liberated them. We, there, there's an order that he puts in place that we should live a certain way. And, and of course, there's, there's much, much teaching on, on these things for us. Husbands to love our wives and treat them as a, as a weaker vessel, or, and give them consideration for their 
understandings and, and needs and all that, that they wouldn't just be a beast of burden to us. We sit back smoking a pipe and, and going to war and fighting and, and hunting and doing those things we enjoy so much. And the women do all the, all the hard labor. This is, this is the way men, men's thinking leads societies into. I guess I've gone, gone down a trail that way, but these things come to me when, when these issues come up. So it speaks here and it says, so then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress. And we know the scriptures say that an adulterer and adulteress aren't going to enter into heaven. It's, it's straight and fast and easy that way. We don't have to wonder. I believe these things can be forgiven. But if we, if we live this life and enjoy this life, where, where you bought yourselves a ticket to the fires of hell, it's that easy. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So, so Paul sets out this, this example here for us to parallel it to then our spiritual walk and our, our struggles. When, when, we, when we look at that in Revelations where it talks about that number of people that, that no man could number, and all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God saying Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever one of the ans- one of the elders answered, saying unto me, "Which are these, which are arrayed? What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they?" And I said unto him, "Unto him, Sir, thou knowest." And he said unto me, "These are they which come, came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them." And it goes on there. They shall hunger nor hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, neither any heat. For the Lamb of God, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them to living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This I've read at a number of funerals. It's it's in the in the little altar book as one of the one of about a hundred or more verses that are or uh, suggested that you can read if if you so feel like it. So it comes to me that it's it's not a time to preach a sermon when you're standing at someone's graveside, but it comes to me that this is such an important thing that that they have come through great tribulation. This tribulation is exactly what Paul is speaking about here. This battle we have within ourselves. And he even complains about how, how, how can this ever produce anything good is, is about how the way he puts it. 
the battle we have with sin, and we've overcome that battle by the blood of, through the blood of the Lamb, through believing in Jesus, through believing that that the, 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 these battles we we have many battles in life, and 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 I think it comes to me that sometimes we we get mixed up in in what these battles are, and we might think that a business failure or a or maybe we had too good a business and, and we were led away from from these important things. And we have teenagers' problems and marriage problems and and broken arms and legs and bones and we can't work or whatever our, our troubles and trials in life might be. It's not talking about that. It's talking about us battling sin. And overcoming sin. That's the most important thing. All these other battles, I don't, I don't minimize them in any way. They're hard and, and we struggle with them, but it's not a battle against sin. It's, we have, we have trials and troubles and we have to go to this word and look for answers. So he goes on, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So he, he paints the picture there that when we were living in, in our old life of sin, and, and, and of course, childhood Christians don't experience that, that they, they lived for years in a life of sin and, and selfishness and greediness and all these things. But they still come to that point one time or another that I want to battle against sin. I want to battle against these motions of the flesh that the scriptures speak about. But especially the, the and I think maybe it's just my own Observation, but I think in in times past, maybe back well before my time in the from the turn of this last century to the time I came along, many people went into the world, children of Christian homes, parents and the like, and lived lived for a time that way, and and then came back into faith, realizing that that. What the word says that the, the when the parents have taught the children these Christian precepts that they they come back to them and they realize mom and dad were right I've been I've been living a wasted life and they come back to that so 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 this is kind of what Paul is speaking about Paul Paul was was uh, raised in the in the Jewish law. It says, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth, forth fruit unto death. How, how can that work? How can that be? When, when the motions of sins which were by the law did work. I, I think what it is, is that, is that we come to the realization that light is shining. 
And of course we go to the light, or some people don't, but the person like Paul, he came to the light through an unbelievable battle that took place in him. He came to the light and probably tried to do what we all try to do under those circumstances. Do those things that are according to God's word. But as we heard last Sunday, that I think it was Shane mentioned that 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 to believe in He, Him who God has sent, that's the work we have to do. We might we might think that we can do this or that or or live this way or that way, and this will atone something for us. This will buy us something. This will buy us. Uh, God's pleasure or whatever it might be, his, his acceptance, it won't. We believe in, in Jesus who came here to save all of mankind. We believe in the work that he did, he accomplished. He went to the cross, he suffered for our sins. Mine would have been enough. What about the, the untold billions that have walked this earth? He suffered for all those sins and paid the penalty for the sin. We believe in this work. He was put to death on the cross. You know all about the Easter story. He arose victorious. He fought that battle against all wrongdoing. And he won that battle. For me. I remember I uh, I had that opportunity, I'll say, to to be put up at our fall services many years ago speaking. Ray Hillman and I were sort of put up together. Not the same time, but the same same two hours. And I thought that that's that's something something for for one like me to be put up with with a man that's aged and wise and walked the walk of faith for so many years it was an honor to to be put up with him speaking but he had experienced these things and he had experienced going into the world And he had experienced being convicted of sin and coming back into faith. And he talked about these things once in a while. And even even these things came out in his sermon sometime. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The law is necessary. There, there's, there's this argument going on, and it actually makes me smile a bit. That it's an unending argument that we should throw out the law. The law teaches us what we are. And it doesn't matter how many years we've walked in faith, we still have to be reminded as, as Paul speaks of his own condition of heart, he's still capable of sin. The law reminds us of that. We don't find salvation in the law. We don't find salvation in, in 
trying and striving and working to fulfill the law because we can't do that. Jesus did that. We find freedom in following our Lord and Savior, walking in his example and footsteps, we might say. It says we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held. Paul talks about it here in a few more verses. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, the law isn't sin. God gave the law. God. God has never given man bad things. He gives us He gives us good things. Every time he hands us something, it's good. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, Paul says. He didn't know what sin was until the law came along. He, he, was a, he was a student of the law. That, that's an interesting thing. And Jesus speaks of it and Paul speaks of it and I think some of the other writers speak of it of the, the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of, of this word. The mystery of salvation. And, and I, would, I would say that there are many mysteries. And I guess one of the, one of the greatest mysteries is is that how we can be changed from unproductive sinners to leading lives that are purposeful and that and that we can get up in the morning and and, and uh, live a responsible life that that is an honor and a glory to our God now, that to me <clears throat> is one of the biggest mysteries. And as I said when I started out here, he uses sinners like you and I to help each other through life. To not not only as speakers, but as, as Christian brothers and sisters, we can talk about troubles and trials and 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 how this word is is so dear to us. He says, "I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet." We all have these members within us. He talks about lust. He said he didn't know anything about it. Didn't know he had it. But the law says, thou shalt not covet. Here's the battle with sin that we, we all have. And, and if, we, if we go through life, which, which one of the churches in Revelations was, was it the Laodiceans or whatever, but they, were, they weren't hot or cold. They were lukewarm. They had no struggles in life. Everything was kind of moving along pretty good. If we don't have struggles in life, maybe we should look at this word and study it some more. Because we will have battles in our lives. If If we're walking close to the laws and the precepts of this word, But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Concupiscence, I I wrote in the column here, lustful desire, because it's not a word that I use on a daily basis. Without the law, sin was dead, for I was alive without the law once. Well, we might say he thought he was alive. He was doing fine, is what he's saying. 
I was doing fine. Well, in the in the story of, of Paul's conversion, we see that he was doing fine. He was persecuting Christians. He was down on the living church. He was down on this new sect of followers of Jesus Christ. And he was ambitious and powerful and went about summoning people basically to death. His followers of this new movement that came up. So we might say he was doing fine. But he was there holding the people's cloaks when they stoned Stephen. And I'm sure there were others, many many others, that he had experiences with. Probably breaking up services and hailing people to the courts in Jerusalem. What happened in his heart when he heard Stephen say that I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Excuse me. I'm sure it touched his heart. I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, he knew the commandments, he knew the law. He taught the law, he preached the law. But it was for others. Then it came to him. God works in these ways, and and, and it's another one of the mysteries. When the commandment came, sin revived. Sin became a living thing in him. I'm sure we've all experienced this. Maybe not to the point that Paul did, but to the same end. It leads us unto unto Jesus. When the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He became nothing. You see on the road to Damascus how he fainted and fell down at that light he saw. The light being Jesus and God. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. If we can fulfill the commandments, or this commandment that he's speaking of, it brings life. It will bring us eternal life. But no man's ever been able to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled it in his obedience. Going to the cross and suffering at the hands of Satan himself. This commandment was ordained unto life. He finds it. It says, I found it to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. So sin came in there. That was the problem. If we try to fulfill the law and do do everything right, sin has come in there. Because we're sinful beings. 
We don't have any direction except this word, give it to us. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then, was then that which is good made death unto me? No. God forbid, he says, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that by sin the commandment might, might become exceeding sinful. I think all I can put in there to say about that is that when the, when the Holy Spirit works in us, we go from our natural understanding to enlightenment that comes from above. From above. Our natural understanding, we can say, well, that, oh yeah, I can, I can offend. I can wrong my neighbor. I can treat him poorly. I can use bad language in front of him. And I know what's wrong. But it just keeps on happening. When the commandment opens that up to us, that this is why Jesus died, we go from knowing we're sinners to fully understanding and being convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're sinners. Is that why Jesus died? Yes. That's why he died. Sin becomes exceeding sinful. It isn't just head knowledge anymore. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, soul under sin. And he goes into this, which we all know, and it's, it's a, I'm sure it's a tongue twister for most people. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Another one of the mysteries of the scriptures and the way of salvation is, is that when we come to God... And we can know and believe that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus died for me. I remember old brother Ray Hellman saying, I can put my own name there. He did it for me. Each one of us can say that. Our will changes. When we become a child of God, our will changes. We're no longer self-willed. We might have a self-willed nature, which many of us have. We think of me. We think of number one, as as the expression goes. Always thinking about me. I'm the most important. I'm this and I'm that. Our will changes. He says to, he uses that word. To will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. I still have this battle in my person, in my being. For the good that I would, 
I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And Paul laments that one place how, how he entreated God that if God would take away. And he doesn't say what it is, but it's, it's to do with this. Some people say he had poor eyesight or bad breath or some of these things. I don't, I don't think it was anything like that. It was a simple fact that sin, sin was still there. And it was still a battle. But we know through this writing and through all his writings, he never, he never let up in fighting that battle. And then he says there in the end that I fought a good fight. I finished the course and I've kept the faith. Beth and I and Amy and cousin Stephanie were with dad when he died. And we had, didn't have a songbook. We were singing some songs and, and, and it was probably a half hour or so before he finally died, passed away. And we were kind of apologizing that we don't know all the words to this song and that song. And, and then I read that to him. How, it's, how Paul says that I have fought a good fight and I finished my course. We know that Paul was successful in fighting that battle. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Every every once in a while, and we find that sin is still there. Oh, we didn't get rid of it. It's still there. But it does not rule our lives. We're still capable of offending, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. It's not, it's not the new man that does that, is what he's saying. It's the old man. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He has a will to do good. Do good. And we know that, that, that Paul, Paul led, a, led a very productive life spiritually, we might say. His nature was forward and ambitious. And instead of persecuting the church then, he made an about turn his life was then lived to the glory and honor of God. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That I read in the Proverbs that we did, the, the, the new man delights in the law of God. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. There's a warfare going on there. It's actually a good thing if we have a, have a warfare going on. If we're lackadaisical and wandering and meandering around in this world and, and, and our lives are of no purpose and value, we're not in a good place.
say that he's actually griping a little bit here. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. It's not easy, this fight and this battle. So he says, oh, wretched man that I am. We, we would think he's a hopeless case if, if that's all we read. Who shall deliver me from the, the body of this death? Who's going to take me out of this condition that seems to be here within me and within my life and heart? And he answers it in the final, in the final verse there. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's many people in the so-called Christian world these days and, and you'll even see it on bumper stickers and, and t-shirts and Jesus is the answer. And he is. There's nothing, nothing truer than that. I hope they know the depth of what Jesus did for them. I hope they know the depth of this battle that Paul is fighting and speaking about. I hope they know the joy of being convicted of sin and having sins forgiven. And if there's anyone here fighting the battle, believe, believe that your sins are forgiven. Believe that Jesus won the battle. No one else. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with a the mind I serve the law of God. He talks about the new man. The inner man. But with the flesh, the law of sin. That part of him that is flesh still battles with sin. That part of him that is of the law of God, the power of God, the very being of, of God dwelling within us by and through the Holy Spirit, we serve the law of God. Thank God for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we receive the benediction? <clears throat> May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance unto us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Someone have a song? 228. 228. 228.